Okay, we've been in the book of Acts. Today we're in Acts chapter 4, and the title of this message is Empowered to Live Boldly. And uh, let me just say, boldly, I hate snakes, rats, and mice. Is, does anybody here like snakes, rats, and mice? We had a lady that we knew, uh, I think she did come to this church for a while, that like she had a big boa constrictor and fed that thing rats. And so she'd raise rats to feed the snake. But for me, I can't, I, I, I can say this, I do not like rattlers or copperhead snakes that are poisonous. And so, but I have to say, I'm not scared of garden snakes. Any, you know, they're just around here and they're, they're actually kind of friendly and nice, you know. So my brother and I, uh, we, we didn't know that our dad and our grandmother were fearful of snakes and rats and mice. But uh, so no one ever told us until one Easter Sunday, we found out they were afraid of harmless garden snakes. And Pinky and I were not afraid of garden snakes and they would just slither around, you know, and were harmless and kind of fun to play with and catch. And so on this Easter Sunday, when we were uh, around nine and 10 years old, we decided to surprise our grandmother with a garden snake as a surprise, a surprise gift. So we found this really large garden snake and we put it in a paper sack. And when our grandparents arrived to our house for Easter dinner in their nice clothes, my grandfather had on a nice suit and tie. My grandmother was wearing this beautiful Easter dress, high heels, her hair was all done. She looked beautiful. So I stood behind Pinky, and we walked up to Grandma's. The car <laughs> drove in, and uh, as they got out of the car to walk up the sidewalk to the, to the front door, uh, Pinky says, Grandma, we have a gift for you. And he hands her this paper sack, lunch sack. She lights up, and she says, oh, you boys are so sweet. I can't believe how much you love your grandma. And then she opens up the sack and goes, ah, throws the sack in the air. And all of a sudden we look, we can't believe how scared she was. 10 little snakes came out of that sack. That big snake had 10 little babies and these little snakes were, and she's screaming. And all of a sudden she wets her pants. And then she starts to faint. And Pinky and I look at each other, and we're starting to run, and I've never heard my grandpa be so bold. He said, you better run, boys, because when I get hold of you, you're going to get a whipping you've never had before. And we never said another word. We just kept on running. And so grandpa got grandma in the car. They had to go back to town to clean her up. We lived in Central Park, and uh, we never saw him again that day. But we did see them later in the week, and we were made to go ask her to forgive us and say we were sorry, and she did. And uh, we never got, we didn't even get a spanking for it. Actually, I think my parents thought it was kind of funny. And so <laughs> now, <laughs> I tell you that story because we'd never seen our grandpa be so bold before. He became bold to protect his wife from his dumb grandsons. And, and our, our grandpa was not worried about offending us. He wasn't worried about 
being politically correct. He wasn't worried about, I wonder if Dougie and Wayne will, will love me still when I'm done. No, he boldly believed he was supposed to protect his wife. So I tell you all that because today we're living in a world that says we have to be politically correct instead of biblically correct and, and obey our biblical convictions. And if our biblical convictions offend certain folks, then just keep quiet and let your life speak for itself. Now, letting your life speak as a witness for God is a good place to start. But there are times when our words should be a witness and we need to speak up boldly for the one we love. So now, let's lift, let's lift up our Bibles, smartphones, iPads, whatever you have your Bible on, and let's make our prayer declaration together. Lift my eyes, say it boldly, all right? This is my Bible, God's holy word. This book is alive and it's powerful. I read other books, but this is the only book that reads me. There are many opinions, but this is the only opinion that counts. Today, I declare by faith, I can do all that says I can do. I can be all that says I can be, and I can have all it says I can have today. I ask the Lord Jesus, the living word, to take his written word and personalize it for my life so I can leave here changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Boldness is a behavior born out of belief. Let me say that again. Boldness is behavior born out of belief. So if you believe something strongly, it changes the way you talk. So the key thought is this. We speak boldly about what we believe deeply. Now, in the book of Acts, there are many scriptures that tell us about the believers uh, believe deeply that Jesus was not dead but alive. And because they believed in the resurrection of Jesus, they spoke boldly about that resurrection over and over again. And I've given you some references here, Acts 9.28, Acts 14.3, Acts 4.31. Those are great scriptures to look up how they spoke boldly. Now, here's the definition of boldness. It means a lack of hesitation or fear in the face of risk or danger a refusal to be held back by the opinion or judgment of others. So in other words, I don't care what anybody thinks, I'm going to speak about what I believe. It is the behavior born out of belief because what you believe determines how you behave. In the Greek, it is the word para, parahesia, and it means outspokenness, assurance, confidence, and it means to act without fear. It also means, uh, and this is not in your notes, but freedom of speech and to leave a witness that something deserves to be remembered. So how you witness, how you share, how you speak it, uh, it should be remembered. And my heart and my prayer uh, are, are that God would take this church and that we would be known and characterized by boldness for Jesus and our faith in him. Today, you're going to, to see where these guys spoke the word of God boldly, unashamed, 
and were fearless for their stand for Jesus Christ. These guys were not trying to be politically correct, but out of love for their Savior and a lost world, they were willing to be bold. And lastly, you need to know these guys had bold obedience. These guys were willing to be persecuted or killed rather than disobey uh, God, the God they loved. So Peter often said bold things. He stuck in his foot, uh, stuck his foot, not stuck in his foot, stuck his foot in his mouth. And I can relate to Peter. He is characterized by bold intentions, but followed by timid uh, actions. And we know that before Jesus went to the cross, he declared to Jesus and all the disciples, he said, if all these losers turn their backs on you, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And I'm your guide, Jesus, basically. And I've got your back. I'll never deny you. I'll stand by you boldly. And before the day even ended, after he declared it, as Jesus is standing trial, Peter denies Jesus not just once, not twice, but three times to a little teenage girl. How bold is that? He had bold intentions followed by timid actions. But then something happened in Peter's life, and my prayer is that something that something happens in all of us from this day forward. In John 21, he encounters Jesus after the resurrection, and Jesus reassures Peter he is forgiven and reinstates him on the team, and several days later, he is empowered with the Holy Spirit. And then he stands up and preaches probably the boldest sermon in the whole New Testament, and he boldly uh, proclaims Jesus as a risen Lord. He tells them, pulls no punches, he says, you're corrupt sinners, and you're a corrupt generation. So he doesn't care about being politically correct. He told them to repent and turn to Jesus, get water baptized, and 3,000 people are saved that day. So the church is now on fire, and now they're believing God for big things. And then last week we saw how Peter and John had the boldness uh, to speak the name of Jesus of Nazareth from Nazareth. And this guy who's lame from birth for over 40 years is healed, walks for the first time. He stands up as Peter touches his hand, stands up. He begins to walk, leap, and jump and praise God and go into the temple for the first time because he was never allowed in there because of his lameness. Now today, we're going to see how that action of mercy and compassion stirred up all sorts of controversy of how this guy gets healed. So we see the first miracle in Acts 3, first physical miracle, and then Peter and John are arrested here in Acts chapter 4 and challenged on how they heal this man. And in verse 8, it says this, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, Are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? So I think he hesitated right there, waiting for the response. I think they just stood there looking at him. And then he said, let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. Now, 
I cannot overstate how bold that statement and declaration is to the Sanhedrin. These Sanhedrin people, they hated Jesus. They felt like they, they thought he killed him. They killed him. And in their minds, they, they, they believed he was buried and they did not want to hear from him again. And the foundation of their beliefs was this. Resurrections don't happen. Once people are dead, they're dead. And they stay dead. But Peter points right at the people who have the power to kill him and says, listen, you killed him. And guess what? He's back. He's raised from the dead and he's not going away. Essentially, he makes a statement of declaration or declaration of war, really, to these guys. They're like, wow, this guy's bold. Now, here's a question. What was the, 2,000 years ago, what name was so controversial? Jesus. Good job. That's right. <laughs> Jesus. 2,000 years later, in our day and our time, what name still stirs up lots of controversy? Jesus. That's right. Jesus. Let's think about it for a moment. In our world today, you can be spiritually bold about all sorts of things, and it's fine. Everybody likes a little God, a little God talk, a little spiritual talk. Uh, but when you bring up the name of Jesus into that conversation, it stirs up all sorts of things in people, especially people in power, and they get freaked out. I mean, you can go on national syndicated, syndicated uh, shows and say, God did this, and the spirits did this, and the ghosts did that, and, and act like all thing, all kinds of spirituality, and you seem spiritual, and, the, and you're fine. You can talk about voodoo. You can talk about Pokemon and Dungeons and Dragons and seances and fortune telling. But if you turn from those things and start, start talking about the powerful name of Jesus, I'm telling you, everything changes in uh, certain atmospheres, okay? For, for, for years, I was part of an organization that supposedly was Christian. And they asked me to pray for the food one time uh, at one of the meetings. And then they told me, took me aside and whispered in my ear, do not end your prayer in Jesus' name. Because <clears throat> we have people from other religions and affiliations in this meeting and we don't want to offend them. So I, I said, well, how would you like me to end the prayer? And they said, just say, in his name, or the Lord's name, or the God of the universe, or you can even, in the name of Doug, but, but don't mention the name of Jesus. And I said, well, I can't do that. So they went from me to another guy. Apparently, he didn't get the memo because he ended his prayer in Jesus' name. <laughs> so then, then they asked me to pray, and I ended my, my prayer the next time in Jesus' name, and they haven't asked me to pray again. So there you go. So Peter looks at these Sanhedrin guys and says, let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. And these religious leaders couldn't believe what they were hearing. 
And verse 13 shows us their response. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Do you know why they were amazed? Because they had the power to kill them and it didn't stop them. That's why. So, for the rest of our time today, let me give you four keys to unlock boldness in your life. All right, here we go. Number one, knowing your position in Christ unlocks the power, his power to be bold. It's, it, again, it says in verses 10 and 13, let me be clear. Let me clearly state to all of you that uh, to the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified but whom God raised up from the dead. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. They could not, they, for they could see that they were ordinary men. All right, now, with no special training in the scriptures. Now, let's look at it again. Verse 10 says, they were ordinary men, or verse 13. Now, in the Greek, I want you to write this down. Ordinary in the Greek means idiotos. That's what it, the Greek word is which can mean unlearned, unschooled, but the most common word translated into English is the word idiot. So the, the Bible translators were very kind. They were nice in the way they translated this. But really, it should read like this. These guys were idiots, and they couldn't believe that God could use these idiots. That's what, So here's the deal. I want you to hear this. Listen. You may be the best of the best, the brightest of the bright. God can still use you. But I, and I promise you that. But I just want you to know that God specializes in using idiots. That's what he does. He loves to specialize in using ordinary people. I'm an example of that, all right? In Acts 3, we have two ordinary idiots going to the temple on an ordinary day, but their God has an extraordinary plan. And they were just doing what ordinary, ordinary people do, and God shows up in an extraordinary way. It makes me wonder... What might happen if you and I decided to live our lives like that? What if you and I uh, would approach each day as an ordinary day, do our ordinary routine, and go to our ordinary occupation with ordinary people? However, because we serve an extraordinary God, what might happen? I, I just, when, when we frame life that way, we set ourselves up for an adventure. I don't know. I don't like life being boring. I like adventures. I like life to be exciting. Imagine what every day would be like with Jesus. You never knew what he was going to do. You never knew what he was going to preach. You never knew what demons would be cast out, who would be healed, what, who was going to be upset with him. You just didn't know. Jesus said, with God, nothing shall be impossible. So the church begins with the power of the Holy Spirit. People are saved. Miracles begin to happen. And now the next phase of the church is persecution. Miracles, persecution. Last week we saw that first miracle. So this is the first recorded persecution of the followers of Jesus Christ, post-Christ on earth. So Peter and John, in the midst of very real possible persecution, Take a stand with these religious leaders and say, we're going to obey God instead of you. Let the adventure begin. 
Now, we need to understand the Great Commission, preaching the gospel, has always invited with it great persecution. You need to know for the next 300 years from this chapter on, the church would experience some of the worst persecutions in its history. Most historians point to 10 waves of persecution, starting with Caesar Nero in about 67 AD and the Roman Empire. They come against Christians from Jerusalem all the way to Rome. This goes on until Diocletian around 303, and it comes wave after wave after wave. And when I talk about persecution, I'm not talking about wearing a little sticker on your coat saying Jesus saves or a a bumper sticker on your car. My wife, uh, when we first got married, she put a, a sticker on the back window saying bound for the promised land. I got stopped one day and the stater said, if you don't stop speeding, you will be in the promised land before long. So I, I took the sticker off. I'm just, but here's what I want to say about this. This, this kind of persecution, you understand, they were beaten to some of them to death. They were scourged. They were beheaded. They were lit on fire as human torches. They were used in the Colosseum as entertainment to be eaten by the lions. And it goes on and on and on, wave after wave for 300 years. Verse 13 says, the council members were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. And I love people who are, who are bold for Christ. I, I love people who, who say, I understand my position in the Lord. I have the same power in me that was in Jesus Christ and the same power that raised him from the dead. It, it, it resides in me and I'm a son of God and I'm a daughter of God and I'm righteous in Christ and I will stand for him boldly. I love Coach Kennedy. Some of you may not like him or don't know about him, but Coach Kennedy, a few years ago, a football coach in Bremerton, after every game, it wasn't school solicited. It wasn't anything. He would go out to the 50-yard line after the game, kneel down, and thank God. And as he did, other players decided they would join him. He didn't solicit anybody. But a couple parents got upset and said, my kids are feeling peer pressure to go pray. They weren't made to, but they felt peer pressure. So they got him fired. Goes all the way to the Supreme Court, and just this last year, the Supreme Court vindicated his freedom to pray in public the way he wanted to. But, and his, his salary was restored, and he is reinstated, not as the coach, but reinstated. Now, I love that about him. Listen, you need to know this. Christians are feeling peer pressure as well. And you need to be able to say, I can, re- I can resist peer pressure and do what God's called me to do. So Jesus, whose convictions and peer, Jesus had peer pressure all the time. He never gave into it one time. Now, Lois is another one of my favorite ones who was bold for Jesus Christ. Uh, in high school, when I first met her, what attracted to me, attracted me to her, was her stand for Jesus Christ. She was a cheerleader. She was popular. She had all sorts of guys that liked her. She, but she wore this. She came to Jesus the year before, and she wore a coat. How many remember J.P. Patches? For those of you who don't, you need to go look him up. He was a clown that wore this coat that had all sorts of pins and badges and stuff on it. And she wore a coat 
that had all sort, let the sun shine in, Jesus saves, uh, you know, I'm not perfect yet, that kind of stuff. All sorts, sorts of things about Jesus. And she was told at football games, they would sing Jesus Christ Superstar and point at her and make fun of her. Not once did she buckle, she stood strong. And because she stood strong, she didn't know it, but little secret agent Christian Doug Cotton was sitting in the band. And I thought to myself, if this gal can stand up for Jesus and not care what anybody thinks, I'm taking off my overcoat and taking off my hat, and I'm going to get in there with guns blazing. And I, we, together we started praying, and our schoolmates came to know Jesus Christ because boldness is contagious. And it brought me out of my little hiding place. And through that, we saw God do incredible things because of her boldness. No. Now, number two, proximity, your proximity unlocks boldness. It says he also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. So who you act like is who you've spent time with the most. So when your kids are impersonating some movie star, some singer, some whatever, it's because they spent time with that person. You act like the one you've spent time with. Some of you have said, I don't want to act like my dad. I don't want to be like my mom. But now you're raising your kids, and as you raise your kids, your wife or your husband will say, you're acting just like your dad. You're acting just like your mom. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. Same facial expressions, same tone of voice, same everything. You are your dad. Hmm. Well, you become like those you hang around with. Close proximity causes things to get on you. And that's not, it's not always bad. Some of it's good, some of it's bad. But did you know, uh, uh, I've had people say this to me. Hey, Doug, did you just, did you start a fire today at your house? I, I'll say yes. And I'll say, I'll say, why? And I'll say, because you smell like smoke. And I'll go, what? Yeah, what, just starting the fire, the smoke got on me and they could tell I'd start a fire. When I was growing up, they, smoking was everywhere. It wasn't outlawed like it is now. And if you went into a restaurant and they were smoking, some people didn't like it because if you went in, you come out smelling like a cigarette. For those of you who smoke, please forgive me. My dad smoked when we were first uh, Christians, first started going to church. And my dad didn't want the pastor to know he smoked. And I know how all you smokers think, I, I, I'm going to put perfume on me. I'm going to put cologne. Nobody will know that I'm smoking. So my dad wrote out a little note and we would go to the store and get uh, cigarettes from my dad. And as we got up there and came home one day from the grocery store, from the little store, my dad's over here hiding behind a bush. And he goes, psst, psst. And we're like looking around. I'm over here. I'm over here. What are you doing over here, dad? Be quiet. Be quiet. Okay, well, here's your cigarettes. Shh, be quiet. What's the big deal? The pastor's in the house. I don't want him to know I smoke. Dad, he can smell it on you. Everybody can smell it on you. What you hang around with is what you smell like. It gets on you. All right. Please forgive me if you smoke. All right? Now, I always tell people this too. Listen, I, if you smoke, you're not going to hell. You might smell like hell, but you're not going to hell. Oh, I just had to get that out there. All right. I hope you still love me, all right? Now, listen. 
Boldness is not an emotion you would try to stir up in a situation. It's release from what has been deposited in you. Boldness is not the goal. Knowing Jesus is the goal. So boldness is the byproduct of knowing Jesus Christ. Boldness can only be deposited into you by being in close proximity to the one who's bold. It comes from intimacy with Jesus. So if you're struggling with fear today or with opposition, you need to know one of the greatest things you can do is get close to Jesus, all right? So whatever is in Jesus will get on you. That's the way it works. Now, proximity tells everyone or who, uh, who or what you've been close to. And then verse 19 says this, but Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? Verse 20, we cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Now, these two words in the Greek, cannot stop, they actually mean it is not possible or it's impossible. So they are saying to these leaders, you need to understand, you can threaten us, but we're still going to speak about Jesus. You can beat us, but we're still going to talk about Jesus even louder. You can put us on a cross to our death, but our last words will be Jesus on our breath. Because if you've seen what we've seen and heard what we've heard, we can't help but share the good news of Jesus Christ wherever we go. It's not just the way I live. It's also what I share and what I talk. So they were saying this, if you, we hung out with Jesus. We were in close proximity with him. If you saw the people that we were and we are now, we can't help but talk about him. If you saw the sins he's forgiven, we can't help but talk about him. If, if you've seen the miracles that we've seen, you can't help but talk about him. Some of you know what I'm talking about. We've seen miracles in this place. We've seen people come to know Jesus. We've seen healings. We've seen everything, that, everything about this place is people. It's, it's all a miracle. This whole place is a miracle. And it's all because of Jesus. So we all do it in different ways. Uh, when we get excited about something, we, we share it. It could be a movie like, like, uh, like the Jesus Revolution. You've got to see that movie. Or maybe it's about Top Gun Maverick, and it's a guy movie, and you're going, you've got to go see that movie, man, the way they fly those planes, the way they blow stuff up. It is incredible. You've got to go watch it. Uh, or it could be a great chick flick, and, and the girls are telling, you've got to see this Hallmark movie. It is amazing. It ends so differently than all the other Hallmark movies. <laughs> Right, right from the start, you know how it's going to start, and you know it's how it's going to end. But anyway, some girls get real excited about that. Okay, great songs come on the radio, and you start moving and dancing and doing a little of this and that. But unless it's Justin Bieber, and then you just flip it off. You don't want to. You know. Just saying. All right. They are saying, when you've seen what we've seen and heard what we heard, and you realize this Jesus was dead, but now he's alive, I'm telling you, it changes everything. You can threaten us all you want, but we're still going to speak in the name of Jesus. All right, number three, prayer unlocks boldness. So the Sanhedrin 
releases Peter and John because they, they realize if we, if we do anything more to these guys, we're going to have a riot. We don't want the people going against us. So they release them to go back. And Peter and John go back to the believers and, and report everything that the chief priest told them. You can't speak in the name of Jesus. You can't do these things. And what I love about this is that in verses 24 through 28, it tells us the first thing to do is they start praying and putting God first and exalting him first. And I'm telling you this, whatever you're going through, don't make prayer your last resort. Make prayer your first resort. I, I've gone through all these things and I've, I've tried this and I've tried this medication. I've tried, I've tried getting this counselor and that counselor. I'm not against any of that. But turn to Jesus first. That's the whole key. And so what happens is... Uh, See, God did not intend us to make him last resort. These verses also tell us uh, prayer was powerful. Now, Acts 4.29, this is, oh, by the way, listen, we should be a praying church. Pray online. Tomorrow night, pastors Jimmy and Jess are leading tomorrow night at 7.30. Get online and pray. And then 6.30, right here, Wednesday night. This place should be as full as this is right now. I think we're averaging 30. Uh, we've been up to 60. But I'm telling you, there should be 100 to 200 people in here praying every Wednesday night. And I know what happens. You get home from work. It's 630. And you're going, you know, I don't want to go back out. I'm tired. I'd just rather sit down and watch TV and watch, what is that word show? Jeopardy and all the others. And, 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 and it's just, and, and you're sipping on a whatever. And, and you don't. Get up and pray. Listen, what changes the world is a praying church. All right, all right, just thought I'd get that out there. Acts 4.29, it says, Now, Lord, this is how they pray. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Everything that's happened to this church started with prayer. I just want you to know. Now, I tell you all this to end with prayer there's more on your notes, but we're not going to go there. But I want you to know this. The United Kingdom, the UK, just made a law this week against silent prayer. Yeah. Look it up. It's a law that doesn't allow you to go within 150 feet of an abortion clinic. Three weeks ago, a lady was there. She had her back to the fence, had her hands in her pocket, and she's arrested. They come up to her and they say, what are you doing? She goes, I'm just standing here. And they said, are you praying? And she said, well, I could be. And they said, are you praying in your mind? She finally said, yes. They arrested her. She just got acquitted two weeks ago. Now they made a law this week so that you cannot pray in your mind. Prayer thoughts. And if you think that's crazy and it can't happen here, it can happen here. I'm telling you, Christians, it's time to rise up. Quit swallowing this pill. Prayer is something you can do even in school. Students need to know their rights. Okay, now, if you don't think that can happen here, I, I had a pastor and his wife call me this week, yesterday. And we're talking, and I told them about this new law, and they said, oh, that happened to us last year. I said, what? We were in court and the, the judge looked at both of us. We were praying under our breath against this court case. And this judge looked at us, and he told the, the guard to remove us. And the, the one pastor said, I'm not leaving. So they removed his wife. 
She went out in the hallway. She wasn't allowed to even look through the window. And I said, why in the world would a judge do that? They said, nobody knew. We kept praying under our breath. I prayed in the hallway. And, and the, the court case turned for them. But they told me the reason that it happened that way is because the judge was a high priest Satanist and nobody knew it. Now, folks, I'm telling you, you're in a spiritual war. And I'm telling you, the only thing that turns this is prayer and seeking God. So I want you to watch a video this morning that because bold prayer breaks bold results. That's on your notes, I think, somewhere. And I want you to watch a prayer, I mean a prayer, a video called Checkmate. It's where Satan thinks he wins. Watch this. There's a picture in the museum in the Louvre. I don't know how many of you have been there. The picture is called Checkmate. The devil's sitting on this side. There's a chessboard, and there's a guy sitting on the other side. And the guy sitting on the other side has his hand on his head like this. And he's like in desperation. And as they were taking a tour through the Louvre, there had been a group of, 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 of athletes and particularly ch world champions that were being given a special tour. And in the tour was the world chess champion. And he comes walking by the picture. And the guy's explaining to him, this is a picture of an artist's rendering of somebody who lost a battle with the devil. And so the group moved on to the next picture to see something else. But the world chess champion, he stayed there. And he just kept looking at the picture. And soon they noticed that he was not with the group. And so the tour guide came back and said, we've, we've, we've moved on, are you, are you coming? He said, well, I've been looking at this picture. And the guy said, yeah, he said, it's, it's called Checkmate. The devil's laughing, the man's lost. And he said, yeah, he said, I've been noticing that. He said, but while I've been standing here, I've kept looking at the picture. I'm, I've, I've, got, I've got a problem. And he said, well, what, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a world champion chess player. And I spend my life playing chess. And normal people don't always see what a world champion chess player sees. He says, but when y'all walked off, I looked at the devil laughing and I looked at the man in desperation. But he said, I noticed something on the chessboard. He said, either they're going to have to change the painting or they're going to have to change the name. And the guy said, well, why are they going to have to do that? He said, well, you know, I'm a world champion chess player. And he said, when I observed the board, I found out the king still has one more move. I come to tell somebody today, you believe you've been cornered. You believe everything is gone and nothing has got any hope. But the king still has one more move. I dare you to declare it. The king has one more move. He has one more move over my finances. He has one more move over my marriage. He has one more move over my kids. It Come is on, let's not stand over. Up. You need to know today, America's been saved many, many times because of revival and a move of God. 
You are the move the King has to change America today. It's time for us to quit being slothful, full of, of, of laziness. We need to step up, start praying every single day and put God first in our lives. And I'm telling you, when you do, the, cha- the name is no longer checkmate. It's our King has one more move. Church, we need to be moving with God and we need to not miss God's move. All right, every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't know how you walked in here today. Maybe you don't know Christ. Maybe you have at one time. But I'm telling you, it takes boldness to become a Christian. And if that's you today, you're just saying, I know I get her get right with God. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in just a moment. When I do, I'm asking you this. Be strong, be courageous, and I want you to obey the voice of the Holy Spirit. He's telling you, today's your day to get right with Him. He's telling you, today is your day to come back home to Him. And if that's you, raise your hand right now. I need to get right with God. Raise them high. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. Keep them high. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. It's amazing. All right. There's probably more. But here's the thing. You're not doing this alone. We're doing it together. You put faith. You believe in your heart. And then you confess it with your mouth. And Jesus becomes your Lord and Savior. Say this with me. Father God, thank you for loving me so much that you sent your son, Jesus, to die in my place. I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me of all my sins, all my mistakes. Come into my life. Be my Savior, my Lord, my boss, and my friend. And by your grace and by your power, I will serve you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand. Now today, I want prayer people to come up, prayer team to come up. I want you to pray, get prayer over fear, over anything that's holding you back, holding you back. Let the chains be broken off your lives. Let boldness, pray for boldness to come over you. New Christians, come on up here. They'll help you get started on your walk. Get water baptized. Get a fresh start. Let's worship.